0: And welcome to Movie Culture! Movie Culture! Today we are talking about Incredibles 2.
1: Incredibles 2 was released in 2018 and is Pixar's 20th feature film. The movie was written and directed by Brad Bird.
0: If it's been a minute since you've seen this movie, here is a quick synopsis. And if you have seen it recently, we will put timestamps in the show notes so you can skip on to the discussion.
1: Picking up at the end of the first movie, the PARs continue to fight crime even though supers are illegal. Frozone, Elastigirl, and Mr. Incredible are approached by businessman Winston Dever, who proposes a plan to help supers improve public perception, which will help repeal the laws against them. He chooses Elastigirl as the face of the operation, frustrating Mr. Incredible, who instead takes care of the kids while she's out saving the day. A new villain emerges, the Screenslaver, who can hypnotize people through screens. Elastigirl figures out that Screenslaver is really Dever's sister, Evelyn, but is immediately hypnotized with the Screenslaver's special goggles. Mr. Incredible and Frozone are lured into a trap and get hypnotized as well, and Evelyn reveals that her plan is to make Supers seem like such a threat that they will never be accepted again. Only Violet, Dash, and the multi-powered baby Jack-Jack can save the day, fighting their way through hypnotized Supers and freeing their parents from the screen slaver's goggles. At the end of the movie, Elastigirl captures Evelyn, and Supers are again legalized. So, Tay, what did you think of this movie?
0: I had fun watching it. Mm -hmm. I actually liked it better than the first movie. Wow. I think it's mostly because I just didn't like the affair thing going on in the first movie.
1: Yeah, it's uncomfortable. But
0: I really liked this one. I always like the family dynamic. Mm -hmm. I think that it's a lot of fun. The pacing is really good.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot to like.
0: I really like the kids.
1: The kids are so fun.
0: I love Violet's subplot about how she was going to go on her first date with the guy she has a crush on.
2: Tony (laughs) Ridinger.
0: Good impression. I thought so. He accidentally saw her without her superhero mask on. Oh, no. And so her dad erased his memory. And so (laughs) he just entirely forgets meeting her at all. And so she's... Really mad at her dad about it. She's really upset, <laughs> understandably. But that's a fun subplot. I love what's going on with Jack-Jack and how mm-hmm. he has every single power, apparently. Oh, yeah. And how Mr. Incredible has to deal with that. And I nothing's really going on with Dash in this movie.
1: He's just a fun, funny kid.
0: Yeah, he kind of just comes in and makes jokes, which I love. That's very fun.
1: I love when he gets remotes in his hands the two high-tech stuff and he just like ruins stuff. It's great. It's hilarious.
0: Agreed. What about you? What did you like?
1: Yeah, I mean, the kids are at the top of my list also and I think that's both because of the individual arcs that Violet and Jack-Jack have and also the family dynamic. I think that's so great. I also want to shout out quickly the animation style. I think that's really fun. It's really great. The art of this movie, like the first movie, really wonderful. Also, the score... Again, Michael Giacchino, he's great. He does a lot of the Pixar movies we love the most. The score is so good. It keeps you really invested. It really goes along with the pacing.
0: The music was so good. Yeah. Normally, I don't really pick up on the music because it's just I don't know much about music theory. Um, I don't really pay attention unless it's kind of the whole point of the movie, like Coco. But. Mm -hmm. Here, I really noticed it, and I thought it was really good, and it, it elevated some of the scenes so much.
1: Yeah, it really does. It does a lot to elevate tension.
0: Mm-hmm. And it- it's surprising. It takes that same Incredibles theme that we've now heard in the first movie, and we hear many times in the second movie, mm-hmm. and it has really interesting, surprising iterations of it.
1: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's really fun. I also really like the nostalgia aesthetic of this movie. The old-timey diners, the motels, even the new fancy house they're in is like a very dated house, at least by our current perspectives.
0: It was like a futuristic 1950s house.
1: Exactly. Very like Jetsons style. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to shout out that I really liked is one of the superheroes, one of the new superheroes that we meet. Because in the first movie, we're staying with the Incredibles, with Frozone, and we don't really get to meet anyone new. And in this movie, we get a whole new variety of superheroes who are kind of coming up and new, and also employed by the Devers Corporation, whatever it is. And most of them I found to be pretty boring and dumb, except for one of them, Void, who I think is so cool and has the best power.
0: Yeah, she can basically make portals.
1: Yeah, she makes these portals so that things can move right from one portal to another portal. So, like, if you're falling, she'll put a portal under you and then just transport you somewhere else. So there's a lot of, like, portals through walls, portals so that punches are coming from unexpected places. At one point, she uses a portal to get into Violet's force field. They just use that power in a lot of really interesting ways, and that makes her a really cool person character who can do something aside from the very corporeal, body-focused powers that the Incredibles usually have, being, you know, super strength, flexibility, speed. I like that there's an added dimension that she's got access to.
0: Yeah, she's a fun character. Her power is really fun to watch. And I really like that they brought in a female superhero who works with Elastigirl, they pair up at the end, and she really admires Elastigirl.
1: She's a really great addition. And if I can take a moment of personal privilege, I love the Hover Train. That's so fun. Any futuristic 1950s version of public transportation, you know I'm all the way in on. I didn't even notice that they didn't have a car crash, which I think at least that they didn't have a car crash. I was just enjoying multimodal transportation. I thought that was very nice.
0: Yes, that was great. We love to see trains. So there's a lot of fun elements to this movie. There are things we really liked. We really liked watching it. But I think now we should just switch into talking about the themes and ideas in this movie.
1: There are so many of them.
0: There are a lot. And let's just break it down, all of the things that we think that this movie is talking about.
1: Okay, sounds good. I think there are five main themes that Brad Bird discusses in this movie. And some of them, I don't know how knowingly he discusses them or how well he discusses them but as we see these five themes there's feminism there's political influence there's influence under capitalism and then there are what i think are the big two there's the argument that screenslaver the villain is making and that's in itself a little jumbled but we can talk about what that is and then finally there's this idea of justice and who gets to give out justice and I think that's the big one. So we'll build up to that.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that all of those things are really interesting. I think that to varying levels, what this movie is saying is interesting about them. I think just a thought on the way that this movie's put together and the way that it juggles all of these ideas. Mm-hmm. I think it is exciting to watch a movie that is trying to bring so many different ideas to the table and has a lot to say. I would much prefer watching that than a movie which is not trying to say anything at all. For sure. I do think, though, that there are places where there is so much that Brad Bird isn't necessarily focusing on any one thing. And he's not really pulling out one theme and saying something in a cohesive way. Mm -hmm. Part of that is that he has so many different ideas. You just listed five that he's thinking about. But the other is that this movie has its main plot, which is Girl and her working with the Devers and the Screenslaver thing. That's all the main plot. But this movie also has the subplots with Violet and her crush and also with Mr. Incredible trying to learn to be a good dad and hanging out with the kids. And that those take up a fair amount of the screen time.
1: Yeah, the five themes... And it is more than five. Those are just the five that we caught and are talking about. Those have to find their way into these three separate plot arcs that are going on.
0: Right. And ideally, that is really a good thing. It's, it's really an interesting thing to have an idea in the main plot and then to explore that idea from different angles in subplots. Mm-hmm. But especially when we were talking about the two main ideas, the screenslaver thing, and the justice thing. The subplots don't really connect with that at all. Yeah. So a lot of the runtime of this movie is dedicated to plots that don't engage with the main ideas, which just means that there's not a lot of time to develop these major ideas. Yeah. And then when there are these smaller themes... That makes it even more difficult, and it kind of just feels a little overwhelming and a little bit confusing in places and hard to follow one thematic argument of the movie.
1: Yeah, instead of feeling like there is one argument that's made that's approached from multiple angles that you really come away from the movie with a perspective, instead it feels like there are a lot of things thrown at you and a lot of thoughts you might have, but no compelling theme.
0: Yeah, but let's get into these ideas. So, great. Let's start with feminism. Yes. So, this movie brings Elastigirl into the spotlight, and it is very excited about the fact that it is doing that.
1: It really is.
0: To its credit, I like that. I am also excited. I think that a movie that has Elastigirl as the protagonist is far better than a movie with Mr. Incredible as the protagonist. I think that's a big reason why I like this better than the first movie. Agreed. I also think that it's a good thing that it is trying to make commentary on the fact that the world that we live in is a sexist one. At one point, Evelyn is saying, how does it feel to finally be out of Bob's shadow? And Elastigirl says, oh, you mean because I live in a man's world? And I think that that is a good line because it's referring both to the literal world just in general but also the world of superheroes, which is very masculine. Absolutely. In, you know, 1950 superhero dom, but also in the Marvel world, which at this point, when Incredibles 2 is coming out, there have been a lot of Marvel movies out already. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing to see in comparison to Incredibles 1, which was really at the start of this wave. Now they're in the middle of it. And so they're turning their commentary to the superhero genre as a whole.
1: And also, despite all the movies that had come out, you had Superman movies and Batman movies and Iron Man and Captain America and Thor and Hulk and Doctor Strange and Spider-Man and all solo movies about men. And at this point, when The Incredibles 2 comes out, we don't have the Black Widow movie, which as we're recording, we still still don't don't have, although that will come out in a month or two. Uh, We don't have Captain Marvel. That movie hasn't been made yet. And the first Wonder Woman movie was released only about six months before Incredibles 2. So even the movies that had come out were all male superhero movies before the slight increase that we've seen the past few years.
0: Right. So this commentary that they're making is accurate. It is good that they are saying it. And it is a big deal that they have the female superhero as the main character of this movie. I really genuinely appreciated that. I like this movie. I like that a lot. There are some questions, I guess, that I have around the feminism. So part of this sexist setup, I suppose, is that when they are brought to the Devers and Winston offers the superheroes this plan to bring back superheroes, he and his sister say that they need to start with Elastigirl rather than Mr. Incredible because Elastigirl causes less damage and she's a friendlier face for the public.
1: How would you say that Mr. Incredible responds to this information?
0: The Mr. Incredible that we know and love. He's terrible, just like he was in the first movie.
1: He's like actively angry at his wife.
0: He's really mad. And this is a guy that we have established that he has anger issues. Mm -hmm. He's like balled up fists, clenching his teeth like, I'm so happy for you.
1: Yeah, he only even pretends to be happy poorly for like a second. He pretty quickly is just openly frustrated that she gets to have fun.
0: And he keeps telling her like, I would clearly be better at this and in front of her he says to the devers like oh you really want her i mean when you could have me i mean she's good but like we all know we all know i'm better it's literally
1: his wife
0: and he just proceeds to be like this for so long
1: he is truly the world's least supportive husband
0: and look like jealousy is a real human emotion yeah It's understandable that he'd be jealous that his wife gets this opportunity. But he is just so, so awful about it. He demeans her. He belittles her. He undermines her.
1: Ooh. Much
0: like the Underminer.
1: Very clever. (laughs) It would be one thing if after she saves the day and he's watching her on every TV station, he is excited, but also we see on his end that he also wishes it were him. And we know that's true, and that's pulling at him. But openly, he's being supportive. But no, he openly is being like pretty bad.
0: Yeah, he's terrible. He was terrible the first movie. He's still terrible. Why do we have to watch him? Everyone else in his family is great.
1: Yeah, in spite of him.
0: Yeah, there's also a lot of comedy that comes from... A dad having to parent, which admittedly, some of the sequences are endearing and they're funny. Yeah. But it is a very...
1: It's tired.
0: It's tired.
1: I would also say on this feminist note, no matter what this movie does, the assumptions of this movie, the assumptions of the superhero genre are really baked into the patriarchy of conflicts being resolved through violence and individualism over communalism. So even when a woman like Elastigirl is at the center of the frame, is the main superhero, the way she's doing things are still reflective of abilities that lead to the prioritization of men in society, which means that the entire genre is always going to be on shaky ground from a sexism perspective.
0: Yeah, it's kind of always about speed and strength.
1: Exactly. Or who can fight the best. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. My biggest question that I had about the feminism, though, was that it sets up this dichotomy between a woman's career and her personal life, specifically motherhood. Yeah. This comes up immediately. I mean, Alaska girl is the one who brings this up. How is her family going to function without her there to take care of everybody? But it also comes up through other characters asking her about it. Void specifically asks her about how she balances her career and her personal life.
1: Mm -hmm. The responsibility to balance their home lives and their professional careers is not even a thought that crosses through the minds of any of the male characters.
0: Right. But the problem that I have with this movie is when looking at the end of the movie, If the beginning of it sets up this question of how Elastigirl is going to have her career, have her time in the spotlight, which the movie is really rah-rah girl power about, really excited about, she's stepping out of her husband's shadow, she doesn't just have to be a mom, she can be a superhero in her own right, the end of the movie, at the end of the climactic battle... She sees Jack-Jack doing his powers. She says, I can't believe I missed his first power. Mm -hmm. And takes him in her arms and then turns to Frozone and her husband, Mr. Incredible, and says, you guys take the shift next time. And then walks away with the baby. It's hard not to feel like the movie is saying that women can't have it both ways, that they can't have a career and be a wife and mother successfully because to be this in the spotlight, like she is, she is separated fully and completely from her family. Mm -hmm. I mean, she goes home to a hotel instead of just her house. She calls Bob and talks to him a little bit at nights, but she is in a hotel separated from her family Mm -hmm. and she's really excited. She's, she's enthusiastic in a way that we haven't seen from her before She's super happy that she gets to do this and use her powers and and shine, Mm -hmm. but she can't have both. And at the end of the movie, she chooses to be a mom. I mean, literally, she takes Jack-Jack. And the thing is that I think that that is a good ending for Elastigirl, because in the beginning, before she even starts this, she expresses that she would like to do this, but her priority is her family, and that's what she really wants. And so she is getting what she really wants. And it doesn't feel like a sad ending for her. But in a movie that is so patting itself on the back about how it's showing a career woman.
2: Yeah, exactly. It
0: feels kind of uncomfortable that this happens at the end. And to be fair, there is still this scene at the end where they're going to chase some small town crime as a family. But, I mean, she's literally sitting in the passenger seat. Bob is literally the driver in this situation. And she's kind of taken the back seat again, and she's no longer in the spotlight. She's in his shadow again. And it's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> it feels like such a hollow form of feminism that this movie has fed us to ultimately just be like, yep, go back to mothering, women,
1: And at the end of the movie, in that scene, they all as a family go off to fight crime. So yes, she can go fight crime if that is within her duties as a mother.
0: Yeah, so, okay, that's the feminism half points at best. What's the next idea?
1: The next idea is about political influence, which I think is interesting because the stakes of this movie, the underlying goal is about a law. It seems like it is maybe international law that has outlawed superheroes. Again, these laws are kind of vague, so we don't really know what's going on with them. But the movie is in this way about the political process. Who can get laws passed and can't get laws passed? And I think that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, say more.
1: Well, it starts with Winston Dever, who, despite his sister turning into a villain... Winston doesn't. He seems to be on the side of the Supers, who are our protagonists, the whole time. And he helps get this law passed. That is his main goal in the movie. He loves the Supers, he has great nostalgia for them, and he wants them to be legal again. And there's a little bit of backstory thrown in about his father loved Supers and something, something, something. What's interesting to me, he's a media mogul. He has a lot of wealth and a lot of influence. And the superheroes are literally synonymous with power, right? They, they say, you know, they have powers. Use your powers. So what you have is the intersection of wealth and power to influence the political process.
0: Yeah, I like that.
1: And there is some idea that the public is on the side of the elites, the people with money and power, And this movie is also a little clumsy about, are the superheroes powerful or are they oppressed? Because on the one hand, they obviously are literally powerful. They have powers. They are greater in some way. They're better. They're special. But on the other hand, there have been laws against them.
0: Yeah, I think these questions about are the supers oppressed or not Mm -hmm. are pretty fuzzy there's an exchange at the dinner table when they get in trouble for handling the Underminer, where they're talking about laws and if law, if the law against the superheroes is just.
1: Yeah, I think that is one of the things that Bradbury is really talking about is what should you do when confronted with an unjust institution? And they view the laws disallowing superheroes as unjust, and should you try and, you know, break that to change the system for a better? Or should you trust the system and try and work within it? And the movie ultimately says that you need to break the system, right? You need to break the laws to change the laws.
0: Yeah. At, at one point later, Elastigirl says, make your mark. Don't wait for permission. Assert yourself. Impose your will on the status quo.
1: Exactly. And she is the one at first who believes in the institutions. Bob is the one who says, no, you have to do this thing. You have to be a superhero because the institutions are unjust. So for her to go from the initial point of believe in the institutions to the quote that you just read shows how much the movie believes in that.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: That the system is not always just and Mm -hmm. we need to push against it when it's not.
1: But also... Who is it that this movie says gets to decide what is a just system and what is an unjust system? Mm -hmm. It's not the people. It's the wealthy, the influential, and the powerful. Mm -hmm. And they are the one who have political access. Not only are they instrumental in getting the law passed, we also see them on a yacht at the end of the movie where each world ambassador is paired with a superhero. These superheroes are not elected. They're not selected. They're just randomly through divine right. Yeah,
0: they're born special. They're born super.
1: Exactly. And that gives them as much place as the most trusted politically elected officials in the world. They all come together. And I think that is deeply problematic.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, what you say about it's not actually the people, it's the powerful, is really true to the point where the people, we see this in the first movie as well, Mm -hmm. the people do not trust superheroes. They don't want superheroes. And in this movie, Winston says, well, we just need to convince them. We just need to not even convince them, but manipulate them.
1: This, I think, is the next theme which is about influence and capitalist influence. Because absolutely, that is not even Winston's secret plan. It's his straight up plan, right? Superheroes don't have a real problem. They have a perception problem. And his job as a media mogul is to change their perception. But in doing so, he understands that he has power and influence over the way that the public acts and the way that the public thinks. Mm-hmm. And he wants to use his power to manipulate people, as you were just saying. And the movie, again, does not treat that like it's a problem. It's not even discussed as a problem. It's just a strategy, right? Of course you need to do this. Of course, in order to get something done that you want, you need to use your tools, which you have through your own privilege, to get people on your side.
0: And you sell people an idea.
1: But the movie does comment against this. In a little way, which is that what Winston Devers does, which is sell, 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 mm-hmm. right? Put things in a way that people will vote for them, manipulate them through advertising. That is a-okay. But what his sister does, which is making people do what you want through hypnosis, is not okay. That makes her a super villain. And of course, of course, of course, of course, with hypnosis, as it's perceived in this movie, individuals have no agency, and that's a really bad thing. And with advertising, people do have agency, so it's not as bad of a thing. I'm not trying to equate the two. I, of course, agree that removing people's agency is not a good thing, but I don't think that they are as dissimilar as the movie believes they are.
0: I actually don't agree with you. I think the movie does see that they're similar. Really? Yeah, because I think that Evelyn is really mad about what her brother does. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't approve of his selling mentality.
1: And we do see that Winston is successful, right? That he is able to change everyone's minds for his own ends And even though that's done through advertising and behavioral nudges and other psychological techniques and perception changing, he still has power over people because he changes their mind, which means that at the end of the day, he does the same thing that his villainous sister does, but he gets away with it. And I don't think the movie necessarily recognizes that he and his sister are doing the same thing, which is forcing people to do the things that they want them to do.
0: I think I partially Mm -hmm. agree. I I think that that connection is pretty clear about what they're doing and and the movie kind of makes it and and doesn't quite. Mm -hmm. But Evelyn is very aware that her brother is very good at selling and no matter what he sells, people will buy. But what is interesting is that Evelyn's anger about it in the form of screen slaver is much more focused on the consumer than the seller.
1: So what did you think that Screenslaver was fighting against? What is her message?
0: I think that maybe Screenslaver and Evelyn are different. As she says later in the movie when it's revealed that she's been behind it, she says, I am Screenslaver, but I'm also not. I created this character. Mm -hmm. So talking about Screenslaver exclusively, I think we should just play the clip of the Screenslaver monologue.
2: Superheroes are part of your brainless desire to replace true experience with simulation. You don't talk, you watch talk shows. You don't play games, you watch game shows. Travel, relationships, risk. Every meaningful experience must be packaged and delivered to you to watch at a distance. So that you can remain ever sheltered, ever passive ever ravenous consumers who can't bring themselves to rise from their couches break a sweat and participate in life you want superheroes to protect you and make yourselves ever more powerless in the process while you tell yourself you're being looked after that your interests are being served and your rights are being upheld so that the system
0: can keep stealing from you, smiling at you all the while. In a nutshell, Screenslaver is saying, wake up, sheeple. <laughs> Screenslaver is like a Reddit troll that's really obnoxious. And like, sometimes you're like, I mean, you have a point, but the way that you're doing this is basically ruining humanity.
1: I think that, is such a great point. I actually think that Screenslaver is right about a lot of things, and I think this is kind of a classic superhero villain problem. The villain is a way for the movie to say what it does really think to be right about things, but they're doing it in a way that is too violent for public consumption. And I think often that is actually used as a way to make people believe that these good ideas are associated with violence when they don't have to be.
0: I think that is really true. Okay, the logic of the actions that Evelyn slash Screenslaver is taking doesn't make any sense compared to her motivations.
1: I know. And again, like, I think this is a problem with supervillains at large. This is definitely a problem in Incredibles 1 where Syndrome is talking about Let's, you know, make sure that everyone has technology so everyone can be super. You know, that's a good idea. She shouldn't kill supers to do that. It is true in Black Panther, right, where Eric Killmonger says we need to use our power to help the rest of the world instead of being isolationists. But of course, he wants to do that by overthrowing large populations and killing people. There are... You know, example after example of supervillains who believe in something good, but Screenslaver believes in mass hypnosis and disallowing all superheroes, keeping them, you know, just regular people, I guess. But really, to me, it's the mass hypnosis that is the big red flag. But I think a lot of the things that she's saying are good ideas.
0: Okay, what is Screenslaver saying that is a good idea?
1: Okay, I've got a few quotes written down. The first is about nostalgia and how nostalgia is messy and often incorrect. At some point, she's talking about her brother, and she says he remembers when our parents were alive and superheroes were legal. And because of that, he thinks that legalizing superheroes will make him feel like he did when our parents were alive. And I think that that generalized is a really great point that just because life was simple or good when you were young when you were a child and also x was happening whatever x is doesn't mean that x is what made your life good that is a huge political problem that's the that's the problem with political nostalgia just because you felt better in you know whatever it is the 1960s or 1970s and you remember things to be a certain way at that point doesn't mean that going back to those laws will bring back that childlike feeling. And the only way to go is forward. I think that's a great point. Does that have anything to do with the mind control she's trying to do? Not really, but I think it's a good point about nostalgia. Another thing she says that I really like, I really, really like this, is when she's talking to Elastigirl, and Elastigirl says... I'll always be there for you. And she goes, Why? Why should I trust you? We don't know each other. And Alaska Girl says, Yeah, but I'll I'll always I'll always help you. And she says, you know, that's the problem. And the quote is: just because you have some strange abilities and a shiny costume, the rest of us are supposed to put our lives in your gloved hands. And I think that is such a great idea about who we trust. I think this gets to what we're going to talk about in a little bit about who gets to put out justice, but Evelyn's right about this. Who gives the people the power to enforce the laws? I think that that is a really great point, that a society needs to be on the consent of the governed. The the state and power must be built off of the consent and the trust of the governed. And if you do not have trust or consent in power, that makes power illegitimate. So In her world's case, that's the supers. Just because they are powerful, just because they have powers, doesn't give them the right to use that power, the right to dominate society with their abilities, because it's not on the consent of the governed. So I think that is a really, really important point. And that is echoed with what she says as she is going into the cop car at the end of the movie. That... She's under arrest, she's fully lost, and she looks back at Elastigirl and says, just because you saved me doesn't mean you're right. And that's the way the movie leaves her. And to me, that says that the movie fully understands that there's a possibility that while her methods were wrong, her philosophy and ideology is not necessarily wrong, and we should be absolutely skeptical about the powers that supers possess.
0: So... I think that you are a little bit more optimistic about what the movie is saying than I am. I think that she's a villain for a reason. I think that the movie fundamentally does disagree fully with what she's saying.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're right. Like, she is the villain. So maybe anything out of the villain's mouth, the movie is trying to disagree with. But she's making really good points.
0: So, okay. You talking about this, it's kind of helped me think about Evelyn and Screenslaver. Because the thing about this character is she just says many things. Yeah. Honestly, much like the movie, there's a lot going on. She doesn't have one motive or one ideology. She just says a lot. Mm -hmm. She says that monologue about Wake Up Sheeple. She says the thing about superheroes. We shouldn't just trust them just because they wear a fancy costume. She says... My brother shouldn't be nostalgic for a time that never was. She says mostly that superheroes keep us weak and that relying on other people to save us means that we're not saving ourselves and that we aren't paying attention.
1: I did like it when she said that because I disagree with it.
0: Right. That was her main thing.
1: (laughs) I don't know that that was her main thing. I think all of them were her main things.
0: Yes, you can't have like five main things equally. Yeah. Um, all right, just to try to organize this. I think that the movie is trying to connect these and make it seem like they're a little bit more in line with each other than they really are. Mm-hmm. I think that it makes this connection of the media sells us superheroes, which makes us think that people are coming to save us, which means we're not trying to save ourselves which means that we're lazy, which means that we're weak, which means that we just want to watch TV shows and be passive in our lives. And therefore, she must go through a convoluted plan of making the illegal superheroes legal and then illegal again.
1: But like more illegal than they were before. (laughs) They're
0: already illegal. And she does all of this to make them illegal anyway. So there's a lot. And and the movie kind of tries to like tie it all together. But I think it's maybe easier to separate them. So Hmm. like Evelyn says, she is not quite Screenslaver. That is a character that she has created. Screenslaver is really about this mass consumption being a bad thing and watching TV being a bad thing. And how that sells us passivity. But when Evelyn is talking, she talks a little bit about how, you know, people will take the easy way over quality. But primarily, she is talking about her motive being that relying on other people makes us weak. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is maybe an interesting way to think about it, that she has created a mask of ideology that is not quite what she believes, Ooh, yeah. but that is what she's selling as the villain. That is the mask that she's hiding her true political ideology behind.
1: That she is really individualist. Mm-hmm. That is what she truly believes, but she sells that individualism as fear of screens. Or, fear of yeah.
0: corporations, fear of advertising. Yeah. Fear of being brainwashed.
1: Yeah, I really like that. It is a much more conspiratorial and attractive, Mm -hmm. you know, a much more easily digestible and easily sellable idea Mm -hmm. than individualism, which needs to be quieter and subtler.
0: And I think that's an interesting way to look at the movie and maybe a more generous way too to think about what it's trying to say. Because the thing about screenslaver and, and everything that she's saying about corporate greed and... Everything that she's saying about consumption and advertising and TV shows, other than her little screensaver monologues, the movie doesn't engage with this idea at all.
1: No, not at all.
0: The main plot is not going one way or the other about whether people are passive or engaged in their lives. It really doesn't care. It just like has no interest in that. Yeah. And it's not saying something about if people take the easy way. It is, though, engaging with this idea about whether superheroes are good for society. And in this case, I think it is very strongly disagreeing with Evelyn to the point where I think it's very interesting that her villain monologue about superheroes is that superheroes, her fundamental problem with superheroes is that they can't always save us. Yeah. That's her problem with them. And that if we rely on them to always save us, we'll be weak. And therefore, we shouldn't rely on them at all.
1: Yeah. It's very black and white.
0: But its I i feel like it's like not, not black and white at all. Because the superheroes in her evil villain monologue are still good guys. The only problem with them <laughs> is that they aren't yeah. saving us all the time. Yeah. It's not that... You know, maybe someone with superheroes can be bad. Maybe they can be corrupt. Maybe they can make the wrong choices and enact violence on populations.
1: Even though that's what she gets them to say to scare everyone else. That's not really what she's worried about.
0: Yeah, that's not what she believes. And I think, I just think it's so interesting that the movie isn't even willing to go there. It's not not even willing to have that idea.
1: I think this leads us right into this final idea about who gets to administer justice, because yes, this movie believes fundamentally in the goodness of everyone with power. Mm -hmm. It cannot conceptualize a world that people use their power to do anything but help other people.
0: Right. It even says at one point that politicians are afraid of superheroes because they don't understand the inherent altruism that superheroes have. Mm -hmm. And I think that I was confused in the beginning of this movie and also in Incredibles 1 talking about superheroes being illegal and kind of trying to understand what that means. Because it's not like if someone found out that they're a superhero, they're going to go to prison.
1: They just have to hide.
0: Yes, but it's unclear what would happen to them if someone found out that they had powers. Hmm. I think that that is the distinction. I think it's not that having superpowers is illegal. I think it's that being a vigilante is illegal. Yeah. And those are really different things.
1: Yes, agreed.
0: One thing is like, it shouldn't be illegal to be who you are. That should be okay. You should be proud of who you are. And the other is like, no, you can't just be a vigilante.
2: Yeah,
1: you can't take the law into your own hands.
0: Right. And so it just feels, it feels kind of uncomfortable then watching these these scenes where they're drawing a lot of parallels to human rights. And we shouldn't force these people not to be themselves. We should celebrate people for who they are. Mm -hmm. And it's just... That's not what the law is against. It's just saying that they can't go beating up people.
1: Yeah. And I guess by extension, the idea that showing your powers in any way puts people at risk and causes harm to society. Like there's a reason why Dash can't, you know, win all the races and be the best athlete in the world for whatever reason, even if he never uses that for crime or to prevent crime.
0: I think it is just worth the comparison because I think we made it last time about you were talking about X-Men and how X-Men was really about being persecuted for being who you were. Yeah. And if people found out that they had powers, then they would be persecuted. And I just, I didn't feel like that was what this situation was. And maybe it was, but in terms of the world building, I think that's all something that the viewer has to just fill in the blank for themselves.
1: Yeah, through two movies, we've never seen someone, and we almost saw it with Tony, but we've never really seen someone understand that a person they know has powers and how that would influence public perception of that individual, why that would be bad or dangerous.
0: And what would happen? What what would the government do?
1: We truly have no idea. But if the law is saying that you can't, Take the law into your own hands. You can't be a vigilante. This movie is saying we should repeal that law that superheroes, because of their power, that should give them the right to take the law into their own hands.
0: Yeah. Just anyone born with powers should have the right to decide what is just and what is unjust.
1: Yeah. To enforce justice as they see it, depending on their perceptions at any given moment. And We also see how bad superheroes are at dispensing justice equitably. We have seen how Mr. Incredible, especially, uses disproportionate amounts of violence Mm -hmm. to stop petty crimes. He often will assault people and use excessive force on things like theft. Yeah. And at the beginning of the movie with The Underminer, we see that they cause. Lots and lots of property damage, and they don't really stop property damage when they address crime, right? They are not in the systems that ensure everything is good, and the damage done to the city is pretty great.
0: With the Underminer, that's really interesting, because what happens is the Underminer comes in, he steals all the money from the bank, Mm -hmm. he's about to just burrow away and leave, but Mr. Incredible like goes and punches things, which drives the Underminer back above ground and then causes all of this property damage.
1: It doesn't even. It makes the Underminer separate his ship into two parts. One of them with him keeps going underground and the other one goes above ground towards City Hall, causing property damage.
0: And almost killing a lot of people, although they do save those people.
1: But that wouldn't have happened had he not been followed. The only reason the big drill goes back up above ground to destroy the highway, to destroy a bunch of roads, to almost destroy City Hall is because he was chased.
0: Yes. And then the the government gets involved and they're like, this is why you can't just be superheroes all the time because- If you hadn't gotten involved, this problem would have been so much better. He already got away. You didn't do anything. You just made it worse. The
1: bank was insured.
0: Yeah. They just ended up causing a lot of damage and putting so many people's lives at risk. Mm -hmm. The Incredibles get very offended by this and like refuse to acknowledge the fact that actually the government is right about this. Yeah. In this case, because it's the first scene it sets it up as if the movie is going to prove that actually the city does need superheroes. But if you think about it, the threats that then happen for the rest of the movie are all manufactured for and because of the superheroes themselves. In this movie, two threats are manufactured so that Elastigirl can stop them. Yeah. And then the final threat only happens because... Screenslaver wants to prove that superheroes are bad. Yeah. And it seems that if superheroes didn't exist or weren't being vigilantes, then she wouldn't have done this.
1: At no point do we see the superheroes stop a crime that they are not themselves indirectly causing.
0: And yet, this movie takes it so for granted that we need superheroes. Mm Mm-hmm. Evelyn says that we can't trust superheroes to save us. They won't save us. And she's the villain. So the movie seems to be constructed around the counter argument, which is that, of course, they will. Of course, these people are altruistic. And of course, there are many threats that we need to be saved Mm -hmm. from. I think (laughs) that maybe we can talk about the way that these are arguments that are used about the police.
1: Yeah, I was trying to not so subtly build up to that. Like, these are violent people who believe that their power makes them morally good and justified in their actions with truly no reason beyond that they are powerful.
0: And even when they make the wrong call and make situations much worse, they don't reflect on that. (laughs) Or change their behavior.
1: Yeah. And and they don't even see that as being what happened. They see the counterfactual as, no, things would have been much worse. That, I think, is the important thing. Mm -hmm. That in the first scene of the movie with the Underminer, the Incredibles, especially Mr. Incredibles, sees the counterfactual as, had they done nothing, City Hall would have been destroyed, as would everything else in the city, and there would have been many deaths. Whereas the government is saying, no, no, The counterfactual is the Underminer just gets away, and there isn't any more damage. And the intervention of the supers caused minimal damage instead of prevented lots of damage. And I think that's something that the cops have a lot of trouble with, is understanding what is the counterfactual. We hear this a lot, that like, when unjust arrests are made, that actually it's better to be safe than sorry because the person that was unjustly arrested mm-hmm. actually would have gone on to do all this violence mm-hmm. instead of thinking about no it was an unjust arrest
0: yeah and it is just uncomfortable and notable that the the way that the movie is structured takes all of this for granted it takes it for granted that the people with power will use it altruistically that they will use it wisely and that we need them, that society won't function without them, that there is, there is real threat to safety without them.
1: There is a scale that lots of people work on. I think lots of professionals work on this scale, but especially it is resonant about police officers. And that is the scale between discretion and bias, that if you give someone no discretion in their job, they don't get to decide what they do, what they don't do, then they also don't have the ability to have any bias. They also don't have the ability to do the things that they think are right or wrong. And the more discretion you give someone, inherently, the more bias that exists as a result. And an issue in governance is trying to determine what is the right balance you do want to give people some discretion. You want people to be able to say what they think is right and wrong. You need to trust people in a certain amount or else, one, people won't take their jobs because people really like jobs where they have professional discretion. But two, you can't fully automate all systems. That just isn't practical. So you have to find where you exist on this balance. And my problem with this movie and also with a lot of popular discourse is it assumes that you can allow full discretion, that the supers are allowed, they should be allowed, full discretion to make any decision they want to decide who's the criminals, what the plan of action is, what's the right thing to do. And it assumes that that won't have any negative effects. It won't have not only them deciding that, you know, the value of infrastructure or whatever it is that's being destroyed is worth it to catch the villain. Also, it doesn't even address the idea that, well, maybe the supers are more likely to punish people or treat people with excessive force if they look a certain way, Mm -hmm. act a certain way, are from a certain community, which in reality, of course, happens all the time.
0: Yeah. I think that what you're saying is really right. I think that there are elements of it that make the movie kind of messy to watch and to think about. Yeah. With Brad Bird's movies, specifically with this movie, and I'm thinking about Ratatouille, I find them hard to talk about because it feels like they're almost slippery in a way. It feels like they're kind of hard to pin down. And I think a big part of that is just he puts so much into his movies. He kind of Mm -hmm. just like tosses a lot in there. And that can make it really interesting to engage with, but hard to follow the thread of it sometimes.
1: Yeah, I agree with that.
0: But I think that this conversation has helped me kind of organize my thoughts about this movie.
1: Yeah, there's a lot there. His are definitely the most complex of the Pixar Mm -hmm. movies. I think part of that is because... Other directors have a greater ability to edit themselves and make cleaner stories. And he throws in a couple ideas that are messy, which means that, you know, there, there are loose ends. Those are also extra ends, right? There, there's just a lot of there there in these movies. But some of it is interesting to kind of toss around and think about. Like, for example, are the superheroes powerful or are they the oppressed? It's kind of in this weird in-between space. It's it's fun to talk about.
0: Yeah, and I think that that is kind of the thing. Now that I've been thinking more about Ratatouille and we've heard from some of our friends who are talking about Ratatouille, I think that that the fact that he has so much in his movies mm-hmm. really lets people come to it and latch on to certain ideas. And somehow, I think, even though it does feel a little bit confusing at times, I think it is a real testament to his skill, really, that yeah. he has all of this that you can read so many different ideas into his movies and they're very easy to watch. They're very they're well-paced, they're fun, and the fact that there is just so much doesn't totally detract from the experience of watching the movie.
1: Yeah, I really like how he packs all these ideas in It makes for a really fun watching experience. I'm kind of interested in watching them again sometime in the distant future to see what we pick up then. Because I like what you're saying. There's a lot that can really be projected onto these movies based on when you're watching it, why you're watching it, what you're thinking about at the same time.
0: Yeah. So that's The Incredibles 2.
1: Our final foray into the pixar superhero world
0: (laughs) what are we watching next
1: week next week we are watching toy story 4 wow we're really getting to the end of this
0: i know Ah. well thank you for listening if you like this episode and other episodes tell a friend spread the word and we will see you next week